This is part three of our study on the Tower of Babel and what it means from the Bible. Um, today we're going to go into the Dead Sea Scrolls, probably the most important archaeological, biblical related discovery ever. Like that's what, you know, several scholars say. Uh, and it is extremely important, especially for this topic. It's not only important for this, but there's specific importance in this topic, the Tower of Babel, that the Dead Sea Scrolls make a big impact on. So tune in. I think you're going to like this. Remember to hit the thumbs up on um, YouTube. Remember to subscribe and share this with a friend that you think this will bless. Hope this is going to be a blessing to you. Here we go. reads the number of the sons of Israel, when we read the Masoretic text, we understand, okay, they came up with that number of the sons of Israel in the year 1000 after Christ. Let's fast forward now. And we also saw the reference to the Dead Sea Scrolls. What are the Dead Sea Scrolls? Same thing. Lexham um, Bible um, Dictionary. This is the article on Dead Sea Scrolls. Dead Sea Scrolls, biblical surveys, of the manuscripts found in the caves around Qumran. Significance, discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in the Judean desert has revolutionized the study of Hebrew scriptures as well as recent understanding of the Bible and canon. In other words, what belongs in the Bible and what doesn't. Scrolls offer insight into the period. So what is the Dead Sea Scrolls? It was a collection of, it's a library they found in caves. It was discovered in 1942. So around World War I and II, so this is very recent history, and it took about 30 years to, you know, get all the scrolls out. There were these canisters, and they had to, you know, archaeologists had to dust them off, etc., etc. It took about 30 years to get this translated into English, because, you know, you have to treat it. You can't just yank them open. So it took a while. So in the 70s is when we had English versions of these Dead Sea Scrolls that we could now leverage for our studies. And... As such, Dead Sea Scrolls have been called the greatest find in biblical archaeology. Relatively large number of biblical texts. What I want you to see is the individual copies of the Bible, because they found full copies of all the books of the Old Testament um, in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Nothing in the New Testament, because the Dead Sea Scrolls is older than when Jesus was there. The, and those dates of the Bibles that they found date 250 B.C. to 50 A.D., with most having been copied in the century around the turn of the millennium. So about 100 BC, that's when most of these Bibles were. Some of them were significantly older. So comparing the age of the Bibles that they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, 250 before Christ, to the age of the text when it was completed for the Masoretic text, 1000 after Christ, this is a good 1200 years older. And they are thus the earliest substantial copies of the Hebrew scriptures in existence today. Before the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the earliest copy of the Hebrew Bible, the Leningrad Codex, was from AD 1000. So that's, the Leningrad Codex is based on the Masoretic text. So what we see is we had 
a, a old version of the Bible from 1000 AD that King James used, um, ESV used, everyone used it because that's the only version of the Bible they had. And then in the 70s, like 1970s in our lifetime, um, suddenly in the 20th century, suddenly this new thing was found and in it they found other references of the Bible. And what has happened is some translations have taken up what they found in that new one. ESV is one of them. That's why when you scroll through, you'll see, and you can read this in the translator's notes, that, hey, the ESV has updated their language based on the newest um, information, which happened to be the oldest copy of the Bible that they had. And that's why we choose the one that's the oldest, because it's the closest to when this stuff was written. It's the most accurate time-wise. So that's where we get um, the heavenly court from. That's where we get you know, the sons of God rather than the sons of Israel. Side note on the sons of Israel being used here in Deuteronomy 32. It's interesting that in context of when the Most High assigned the lands to, to the nations, he divided up according to the human race and he, according to the numbers of the sons of Israel. That's flawed for another reason other than just bad translation because they didn't have sufficient um, information. It's also flawed based on um, let's go back to Genesis 10. Genesis 10 in this table of nations, which comes just before Genesis 11, there is no Israel yet. Like you can read Genesis 10 and you, you won't find Israel. You won't find anything about the children of Israel. They, they don't exist as a nation yet. Why don't they exist yet? Because after Babel happens in Genesis 11, what's the very next thing that happens? Genesis 12. Let's go there. Genesis 12, the obedience of Abraham. And now the Lord said to Abraham, go out from your country, your relatives, your father's household to the land I will show you. And then I will make you into a great name and I will bless you and I, Yahweh, will make your name great. You see the parallel again? Remember Tower of Babel? We are going to make our name great. We're going to rebel against Yahweh. Yahweh here, immediately after he disperses the nations in the Tower of Babel, he comes to Abraham and he says, listen, you, I am going to make your name great. Not you. You're not going to have to do it yourself. I am going to do it. And you know um, the rest of that, the, the blessing. Um, you will um, exemplify great divine blessing. I will bless those who bless you, the one who treats you lightly. I must curse all the families of the earth will bless one another by your name. Another translation of that, all the families of earth will be blessed through you. Hmm. Sounds like he's talking about Jesus. Nonetheless, we'll, we'll get there in a minute. But that is what, um, you know, this part of the text was referring to. And that's why it's very unlikely that in Deuteronomy 32, when speaking about the separation of the nations, they couldn't have been talking about Israel yet. Israel didn't exist. Abraham's going to have a son, um, Isaac. Isaac's going to have Jacob. Jacob's name is going to be changed to Israel. And then Israel, all the way in Exodus, is going to end up in Egypt. And that's where they're going to be fruitful. And that's where the nation of Israel is going to kind of pop up on the scene. So Israel didn't exist, um, you know, when the nations were being divided up at Babel. So we, we now understand, um, you know, where the text comes from and how we can do some good study. Um, 
based on the Dead Sea Scrolls, etc. So now let's fast forward a little bit. <clears throat> so, and I'm gonna pause here. So um, we now see the, the, the story of the Tower of Babel. It's not just about this tower, it's about the tower, and it's about these sons of God that were given authority to, hey, manage these nations, I, Yahweh, am going to take, you know, this other nation over here. And what's interesting to catch that we didn't get into here yet, but we've, we've done other talks uh, and we'll do another detailed talk just on that. But there were multiple spiritual rebellions. And the Bible shows us, Psalms 82 to be exact, that the sons of God who were placed over the nations, they rebelled. So they liked the idea of getting worship for themselves. And whether it was all or some of them, we don't know, but at least some of them rebelled. And that's where some of the other nations have other gods. And we see that with, for example, Nahum, uh, Naaman, my apologies, who comes from Syria. And he says, listen, um, we have gods down in Syria, but they told me I can't get healed. I have leprosy. I can't get healed. None of them gods ain't doing me nothing. Um, but he came to Elisha because someone, I think it was a slave girl, told him there's a God in Israel and that God can heal you. So he goes to Israel and when he gets healed, he turns around and he tells um, um, Elisha, I'm never sacrificing to any of these other gods again because only your God was able to heal me. He even goes so far as to say, give me some dirt. You can check this out. We posted about it on Facebook. Like I said, follow the Facebook. You'll get some nice little, you know, preliminary hints about the content. Um, we even posted about this on Facebook. You know, Nahum then takes dirt, asks for dirt. And he says, I need dirt from Israel because he was in Israel talking to Elisha um, because I need to go back with that dirt because this dirt is holy ground because only in Israel is where Yahweh is. So Naaman understood it. Daniel in Daniel chapter 7 and chapter 9 talks about the prince of Daniel. And we touched on this in our angels video. Angels video link up top. Um, the prince of the, 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 the air, the angel or the, the, the god over um, Persia and Greece were fighting against Michael who came to Daniel with a message. Where does Daniel get that idea from that this nation, Persia and Greece has, you know, an angel floating over them or some other son of God or something flying over them that is in rebellion to Yahweh? He gets that from Deuteronomy 32. So that is what the Tower of Babel is all about. It's not just about this tower and languages. It's about the other nations being pushed away from God, separated away and God saying, I am going to focus on my children, Israel. But God from the jump says, but FYI, Abram, <coughs> excuse me, one second. Some nice sun tea with lemon. Um, but God from the jump tells Abram, through the nation that I'm gonna build through you, all the nations in the earth will be blessed. Now let's get to the New Testament. So fast forward to Mark chapter 15, and let's go there. Fast forward to Mark chapter 15. Um, temple is torn, um, Jesus is crucified, and when he dies, but Jesus cried out with a loud, loud voice and breathed his laugh. Now, last, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with this. It reappears in Matthew, as well as in, I believe, Luke or John, one of the two. Um, but I'm going to touch you on Matthew in a minute. And the temple curtain was torn in two from the top to the bottom. 
And if we study what that means, most people think or, or immediately ascribe that to, listen, the temple was where God's presence lived. And it being torn from top to bottom says only the priests used to be able to go into that Holy of Holies where this, this curtain was blocking it. Now it's open and anyone can go in. The problem with that is we're still talking about the temple and anyone can't go in. Only people allowed in the inner court of the temple. So there was the Holy of Holies, the inner court, and the outer court. The only people allowed in the inner court that could get into the uh, Holy of Holies were Jews. So while the temple is, the, the curtain is torn, and it's, it signifies God's presence being available for all the Jews, there's still something more that needs to happen. And we're going to get to that right now. But first, let's look at Matthew. I promise I'd get into Matthew because Matthew kind of takes the temple idea and he, 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 he spells it out a little bit more. Uh, yes, here. And just then the temple curtain was torn in two from the top to the bottom and the earth, hold on a second, I shouldn't have had this open the whole time. And the earth, sorry, there we go. Um, just then the temple curtain was torn in two from the top to the bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split apart and tombs were opened and the bodies of many saints who had died were raised. So Matthew goes a little bit further and says, listen, when Jesus died and cried out with a loud voice and gave up his spirit, like a lot of stuff happened. The temple curtain tore, um, people came out of the tombs and again, link up in the corner um, to the um, demons link, like the origin of demons. We talk about this, like why did Jesus have to die and what's happening here with death and Jesus dying, etc. You'll get that if you go and check out that. But first, let's wrap up here. Um, <clears throat> so that's what is happening in the New Testament. And this speaks to, um, you know, a part of Jesus's mission. Wow, that was some cool stuff. We're now getting into the New Testament. Um, remember to like, subscribe and share this with someone that you think could benefit from this knowledge in their own Bible study. This is how we make disciples by studying the Bible. There's other things too, but studying the Bible is a key part of it. So um, see you on the follow-up soon. Thank you.